you a fan of this podcast? Do you wish there was even more juicy content for you to sink your ears into? Well, there is. You can become a premium member of this podcast for $5.99 a month and get full access to an archive of over 50 bonus episodes. Additionally, we release a bonus episode every single month. That's a ton of extra content, including my personal interior design diaries, extra tips, my talking about trends, and so much more. Additionally, you'll be keeping us on the airwaves each and every week because your premium membership money goes directly back to making this podcast amazing. Check us out at affordableinteriordesign.com. Click on podcast to learn more and to become a premium member today. high-end designer or a lot of money to get a luxe look be your own interior designer this is affordable interior design the podcast here's your host betsy hellman all right guys last week i left you with a cliffhanger we were designing christy's space and we'd made a lot of headway on that episode but she had even more questions and seeing how she's a premium member well her questions are gonna get answered asap do you want your questions answered asap head over to affordableinteriordesign.com backslash podcast and become a premium member. Get access to my interior design diaries, to my entire archive of monthly bonus episodes, and other exciting perks. Head over there and check it out. And in the meanwhile, let's answer Christy's other questions. Try saying that 10 times fast. Christy's other questions, Christy's, okay, forget it. Okay, here we are. All right, so Christy continues. She writes, Betsy. The previous owner of our house updated our kitchen prior to putting it on the market. I'm sure compared to what was there previously, it was a significant improvement. Everything's in good shape. It's functional. Unfortunately, I feel that most of their choices for finishes are dated. It's not to my taste, and it makes me feel like I'm back in the year 2000. And I feel like the wood cabinets make the room look really dark. Fortunately, the house gets a lot of decent light. I took these pictures on a sunny day. In addition, this kitchen opens up to a large living room that we're going to make into a dining room. The previous owner painted everything on the first floor different shades of beige, which very much matches the kitchen. I hate these shades of beige. I'm so sick of them, and I think they look dated. Please forgive the mess in the kitchen. My husband loves to cook, and when he's not traveling for work, the kitchen is in a constant state of use. Now, Betsy, is there anything I can do to make this kitchen feel more up-to-date without replacing the counters, the cabinets, and the floor? I would love to replace everything, but I just can't justify the cost right now. I'm hoping that maybe pulling in a backsplash or choosing the right paint color will make a huge difference. I want to paint the entire first floor, but I don't know what color I can paint the walls in this continuous dining room. The living area flows into it, you can see in the pictures below. I don't want it to clash with the beige-brown kitchen. 
If I choose a gray toned neutral, is it going to look weird? Is there a grayish that might be a better choice? I know you have gone off of grayish, but I don't know if gray will work and I am really sick of beige. Here is the attached living area that we want to change into the dining area. And here you can see that there is quarter round that I hate. Let me see. Oh, it's a quarter round base trim. Okay, gotcha. I really feel it should be slimmer and it should be a shoe molding that's painted white. Because the living room is open to the kitchen, we're going to convert it into a dining room. However, I feel like I'm just stuck with this beige. Is there any hope for a different wall color? We've purchased a long rectangular dining table to go in this room. I was thinking that if we put a bench against the wall where the sofa is now, that the table would go adjacent to it. Then we could have chairs on the other side of the table. I've seen upholstered benches that have backs. They're somewhat sofa-like. And I think they'd be nice even, that you, even though you say nobody wants to sit on a bench. Also, we don't have company for dinner very often, so I think a bench is practical. We'll move the existing sofa to the wall where the piano is. I'm not sure if we'll have enough room to keep the chairs adjacent to the fireplace. Hmm, perhaps we should make the dining chairs an upholstered chair so that they're comfortable and we can sit by the fireplace after we eat. As a style note, we purchased all the furnishings and art other than the piano in this room. Most of our other furnishings are hand-me-downs. All right, well, you know how I feel about hand-me-downs, Christy. We've already tackled that issue in the previous podcast. But let's get to this new issue. Yes, you have chocolate brown cabinetry. On top of that, you have a countertop that has lots of different colors, from caramel to black to off-white to cream. I see absolutely no gray in it, unfortunately. The floor tiles also appear to be a beige, and the walls are cream. Uh, then you have some really stark white molding, which I think is totally appropriate, and you have stainless steel appliances. So that kind of sets the scene. Now, I do think that the kitchen feels pretty dark. It is very separate from the other room, even though there's no wall, because the tile stops and there's a saddle that kind of, you know, covers the connection between the tile and the start of the hardwood. I think that you should consider painting these cabinets. I think painting the cabinets in a white or a light gray, gray beige, because we're not changing the countertops, I think that could make it feel much more contemporary and lighter and brighter. Now, I do not usually recommend painting cabinetry because it's expensive. You are going to need to hire a professional. This is not something that you should do in your garage. These cabinets do look like they're good quality, but I just do feel that they're very dark. And I think painting them that fresh, bright white would be a huge help or a version of grayish that you could pull out from these countertops. Now... A backsplash is key. Whether it was this kitchen or a different kitchen, I really love a backsplash. The question here, and I'm sort of checking out these pictures, question here is where do we stop the backsplash, right? Of course, it's going to go between the countertop and the cabinets, and that's a good, you know, 18 to 22 inches of tile. But it looks like, you know, as the kitchen continues around, we have these windows. It looks like the wall does not have a clean break. 
It looks like the wall behind the countertop extends and even extends all the way down by the patio. I think, say you didn't want to spend the money to repaint the cabinets because, of course, like you just heard me say, you're going to hire a pro. I think that by selecting some tile and taking it all the way under the cabinets as well as all the way above the window and all the way on that wall right by the patio, by adding that much tile, I think it will really make a strong impact and of course divert focus from how dark this room can get. The key with that is that you're going to choose a backsplash that's not dark, right? So you're not going to choose a dark color should you decide to go with a real Roy G. Biv color, rainbow color, right? Or you could do like a white subway tile but in a herringbone pattern. I wouldn't do anything too small, like a small mosaic tile, because we're going to do it over a large surface area. But I could see um, something also no bigger than a subway tile, because that is going to feel too chunky and you're going to have to make so many cuts when you do it around the window. I myself had a similar situation where I had honey-toned cabinets and I just hated them, right? They were so warm. I still have them to this day, by the way. They're so warm and they're just not my style at all, but the quality is so amazing. And I don't even want to hire somebody to paint them because I'm eventually going to blow out my kitchen. Um, that's, that's in the future, in the future. So I got these amazing tiles that go really wonderfully with the architecture of my home. They're like a Moroccan-shaped tile that comes in blue. And the blue has totally cooled off my honey cabinets. And while I'm not that fond of these cabinets, when people come in my kitchen, their immediate reaction is the backsplash is so cool. And it's because I've made a statement by going up the whole wall and around the window. So again, we don't want anything too small like a mosaic, so many cuts, it's going to look frenetic on a big wall. Don't want anything bigger than a subway tile. Again, it's going to be so cut up with these um, different areas that it's going to lose its impact. But a mid-sized tile like my Moroccan mosaic uh, would be just what the doctor, or in this case, the designer, ordered. And I do think you can, in terms of the wall color question, go a little bit grayish. As I'm zooming in on this modeled countertop, I can see that there are a few flecks that are grayish. Yes, I'm a little bit over grayish because it can seem like a cloudy day. I find myself gravitating more towards a cream, which is what your wall color is, or I find myself gravitating more towards a pale gray than grayish these days. But I do think a grayish could be a very interesting choice here. Check out something like Balboa Mist. Check out something like gray mist. These are two that kind of ride that fine line without ever being dark. And then if you wanted to, you could, you have a nice clean break between the kitchen and the future dining room. You could do a shade darker of that color in the dining room because the dining room is just flooded with natural light. And that would be a great foundation on which we can overlay colorful things like rugs, like artwork, etc. And now it's time for a quick commercial break. 
Do you love this podcast? Do you wish you could learn even more? Well, we have an online class bundle. Our online class bundle is comprised of three online classes, Beautifying Your Home for Less, Styling Your Home, and The Fundamentals of Feng Shui. Each one of those three classes is between 30 and 45 minutes long and chock-filled with visuals and tips, things that will help you to style your own space or help out with other spaces. Additionally, with the pack of three classes, you get an autographed copy of my book, Affordable Interior Design. You get all of that for only $99. Once again, that's the three online classes as well as the book for only $99. You just go to affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes. Once again, affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes to buy your bundle today. And if one of those classes sounded intriguing, but maybe you already have my book or some of the other topics are not of interest, you can buy the classes individually at that site as well. Each class is $40. So head over to affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes to get your bundle or your online class today. Can I say one thing? I think it's weird to have a sofa in the dining room. So I heard you mention that you were going to put the sofa on one wall in here, and I think that's an absolute no-no. I understand that you want to be able to sit and have a cozy fire, but the fireplace is right behind the dining table. It's on the same plane as the dining table. It's not like it's on the other side of the room. So I think it's highly problematic to have seating on either side of the fireplace as you do now. You have two armchairs flanking the fireplace. when you're going to be putting a whole bunch of chairs around the dining table that's right there. I would eliminate the armchairs. I would keep a piano in here. The piano, as you referenced in last week's episode, was meant to go in the living room, but it just adds to the problem of so much wood. And, you know, I think that if we kept the piano here, a piano feels at home in a dining room. And then this can feel more intentionally a dining room than some kind of weird fusion living dining space, especially because you take one more step and you're in the living room. We don't need additional seating here. Who's sitting here? Am I going to lounge on the sofa while my kids finish their dinner? That's weird. Uh, So get a nice big rug. Instead of a sofa, maybe put a hutch on the wall where the sofa is now. You are reimagining the layout of your home. You are turning a room into something new. You are repurposing it. And so you have to really step into that vision. You can't be one foot in, one foot out. You have to say, this is the dining room. What elements does a dining room have? Buffet or hutch, dining table, chairs, bench. We can keep a piano. And I don't want you to run into the same problem that you've been running into with the living room where it's becoming a wood factory, right? So when you're selecting a dining table, when you're selecting dining chairs, I want you to Really be intentional about breaking up the wood and having colorful dining chairs or making sure that there's a nice big rug under the dining area that has lots of different colors so that it will not only camouflage stains from anything that drops, but it will also kind of break up the brown, right? Well, Christy, I think we might have solved all your problems. Hooray! 
I'm just scrolling through. Oh, you know, we had one more. The last one was the baseboard. I hate quarter round baseboards. I really like at least a three or four inch baseboard. My favorite is a six inch. And of course, higher than six inch is amazing, but then you want to have higher than eight foot ceilings, which not a lot of us have. I really hate the quarter round. It's kind of like a finishing piece that they put on because maybe they put on flooring later and they're trying to cover any gaps. Um, but if you have to keep the quarter round, which is right next to your slim baseboard, then I would paint it the same color as the baseboard so that it all looks like one piece rather than trying to make it looks like look like the floor because it's never going to look like the floor because it's raised off the floor. It's always going to look like molding. And as we know, we paint molding for the most part in a contrasting shade than the floors. All right. So there we go. Um, get rid of some of those hand-me-downs. You know how I feel. They're holding you back. And let's see if I can squeeze in one more question to today's episode. Let's see, let's see, let's see. Who has written in? Let me find a small question. All right. This one comes from Nan. Nan writes, hi, my name is Nan. I've been a fan of yours ever since I started my own business in 2017 after working for years for other designers. Your business remains an inspiration to me. I also want to serve people who can afford a high-end designer or a fancy firm, but they crave a beautiful home nonetheless. Why shouldn't they have that too? I started with all in-person services, with the goal being to eventually add virtual services. Well, COVID brought that future goal into the present, so I'm going virtual sooner rather than later, and I have a new website in the works. You are the source of so much knowledge about this field, so I'd like to ask you a couple questions about the process. First, how do you cope with specifying upholstered pieces when a client can't go to the store to try things out? Okay, so I'm going to answer that first. I feel like you should always sit on your sofa before you buy it. For me, a sofa is a very important piece where my family and I spend a lot of time and I want us all to be very comfortable. I have been working virtually during COVID as well. In fact, our virtual plans have really taken off. They went from less than 5% of our business to 100% of our business during COVID. And now that we're back to seeing people in person, there's still a good 30% of our business. So it's been fabulous. Um, but I do recommend that they wait to buy the couch until they can go sit on it. Many showrooms are open right now. So you can safely make an appointment and go try sofas. It is much more difficult, but that's why you want to stick to those quality stores. You want to stick to Room and Board, Crate and Barrel, Mitchell Gold, Bob Williams, um, Macy's, right? Raymond Flanagan has some really nice pieces. So when you focus in, you don't have to go everywhere. Like don't go to Ikea, don't go to Ashley Home Furniture, don't go to Bob's, right? These are places where you're going to have more misses than you'll have hits. We want to get you in and out of there safely. I also would not let a client buy a very important chair. Uh, like say that ultimate reading chair, that ultimate snuggle chair for your family, the chair that dad is sitting in every night to read the New York Times. That is another important piece that I want you to test out, that I want my clients to go try before they invest. So maybe we just wait on that until COVID's over. Or maybe I send them to those showrooms where I know they'll have great selection and great quality. 
Now, when it comes to sourcing the fabrics, I want them to get samples. We want them to order the samples online, which so many amazing companies are doing. We want them to really be able to touch and feel the fabrics because if you're going to customize a piece, you're going to have a much harder time returning it. It's typically going to be a little bit more expensive. And so you want to make sure that what you see is what you get. All right, let me move to your next question. Betsy, how do you know that the the pieces will physically fit the client and feel comfortable to them? Well, again, I'm only worried about it for those major pieces, right? For the minor pieces, like say it's just an accent chair that they're going to sit in when they have guests, but day to day, it's just a cute little element in the room. Or say it's the rug. You know, you don't have to touch and feel a rug to understand how it's going to be in the room. You know, it depends. Some clients have real specifications are really picky about things that other clients aren't. So if you feel like this client is going to be picky about a certain items, ask them. Like, what textures do you generally prefer? Uh, Is this a piece that you must see in person? Or are you open to sourcing online? Things like rugs, pillows, artwork. I am totally open to sourcing online. Nightstands, beds, you know, it's really the mattress that needs to be comfortable in that case. But the actual frame and headboard, you can find great quality at places like Wayfair, Hayneedle, Joss and Maine. You don't need to touch that. Um, And like I said, you'll just ask the client what their preferences are. And as a designer, you'll give your two cents, just like I did. I can say, I know just where to get you an amazing bed. You don't have to splurge on restoration hardware or even go to the showroom. So the clients are paying you to guide them, but at the same time, you want to find out what's important to them. You go on saying, do you instruct them to go to the store near them to try things? Well, I already answered that for you, Nan. Yes, yes, go safely. And oftentimes that means making an appointment these days. You also ask, Betsy, how do you cope with colors and fabrics online? Do you always order samples for clients so that they can see and feel it in real life? Do you say that design is conceptual or directional and not literal? Or do you give two different color options for each item? So yes, I encourage my clients to get samples. I have a whole library of samples here at my storefront that I can touch, feel, look at. As a designer, you should be requesting those from the companies. You can call their business trade association and they will send you oodles of samples. Um, You just want to make sure to organize them because it can be overwhelming. But then what I do is I try and pick an inspiration piece that has several different shades of the same color. So if I know that my 603010 is going to be blue, green, yellow, I'm going to pick an inspiration piece that has several shades of blue. Maybe it has deep navy, light blue, a little bit of teal. Maybe it has emerald green as well as a grass green as well as a chartreuse. And maybe it's threaded with a little bit of goldenrod as well as primary yellow, right? So that I don't have to be so literal, so matchy-matchy with only one exact shade. Because it can be very hard to see the nuances, but when that 
beautiful inspiration piece has variation, one of those tones is going to coordinate with the blue chairs that I found. One of those tones is going to work perfectly with the emerald pillows that I found. So that's really the key, is choosing a rug or a piece of artwork that of course has multiple colors to give me that color palette, but has multiple shades of the same color as well. That is the way to crack that nut. Lastly, you say, I'm struggling with these factors since I'm so used to going to the stores with my clients. I want to do my best for every client and these questions are haunting me. I believe you'll have some good advice. Yes, and I want to share with you that I almost never go shopping with my clients. It can be a huge waste of time and waste of their money. If we go to stores and they hate every sofa, that's an experience they could have had on their own. Who I do go shopping with is myself. Whenever I get a chance, I head out to the showrooms, to the design districts. I touch and feel everything. I love it when the new seasons come out. All the new lines typically come out in January and July. And I make a point to set aside shopping days where I will go to Crate and Barrel, Room and Board, CB2, West Elm, all in one day. And I'll familiarize myself with these pieces. I'll take pictures. I'll make a few notes. I oftentimes find that the scale of things surprise me. Things in person always seem bigger than they do online. Even if I look at the sizes online, I can say, oh, I see how that could be big. But then it always surprises me in person how there's this little bit of information that can be really helpful to me. So that way I can speak to my clients with intelligence and confidence, but I don't have to waste their time or mine walking around Crate and Barrel. What do you think of this lamp? Oh, we don't like anything there. Let's go to the next store. That can really, you know, in terms of my fees, that would really add a large expense for my clients. And I can't guarantee that we'd get winners every time we went out and they'd still be paying me for my time. So I find that to be, depending on the way that you work, you might do a flat rate package and then it's all included, but then are you really being compensated well? Ask yourself these questions, compare yourself to others in your area, and make sure you're valuing your time and your client's money. All right, everybody, there we go. Just sitting here, solving problems, making people's lives better, and dealing with back pain. Ugh. Oh, thank you all for listening. I can't wait to be back with you again next week. Till then, bye. You've asked for it and we have answered the call. For years, you've been saying, Betsy, you're talking about all these great design concepts, but we can't visualize them. You're describing the picture that the listener sent in of their problem, and we wish we could see that picture too. After all, a picture is worth a thousand words, and I do my best to describe them, but there's nothing like seeing it for yourself. And that's why Affordable Interior Design, the podcast, now has a YouTube channel. Not only do we have a YouTube channel where you could see recordings and clips of these podcast episodes, we also have an Instagram, a Facebook, and so many other exciting things. You should check it out. Head over to affordableinteriordesign.com slash links. Once again, affordableinteriordesign.com slash L-I-N-K-S links. And when you go there, you will see links to our YouTube page, our Instagram page, our Facebook page, and more. Please check it out, follow and subscribe so you can see everything I'm talking about.
A big thank you to our amazing producer, Catherine Heller, to Aton and the MBCR House Band, and to Affordable Interior Design, the sponsor of this podcast and the premier place to get an amazing look on a budget. Check out affordableinteriordesign.com. If you guys love the show, the very best way to support us is by spreading the word. Tell your friends or write us an awesome review on iTunes. So until next week, guys, thanks so much for joining us, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.